Well, if you understand the epistle of 1 John, it's written to who? Little children. Little children. It's talking about believers. It's talking about folks like us. And it might seem like John is telling us this stuff over and over and over again. And it's so basic and it is so black and white. He deals with either hate or love or good or evil or Christ or Antichrist. And it just goes on back and forth. So basic. But the big question is, are we practicing it yet? Are we practicing it yet? Are we practicing the awesome value of love? The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles, please, at this time and turn to the little epistle of 1 John and the fourth chapter near the end of your Bible there, 1 John chapter 4. By God's grace, I believe I have a a penetrating message today from this passage. It's going to sound familiar. You're going to say, well, we've heard this already, yet it is fresh and it is significant and it deals with, I think, perhaps the deepest longing in the human heart, and that is love, love. We're going to begin in verse 7 and actually read to the end of the chapter here. And not only do I want you to get the meaning of each verse, but maybe also to look for the word love in some form as you find it in nearly every verse. First John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him, here in His love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, How can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. A lot of love in those verses, isn't there? And we're going to be talking about it as we talk about the awesome value of love. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we ask you, dear Lord, to help us to embrace this wonderful text and wrap our hearts and minds around it. May it help us tremendously. 
We need your help in this process, and so we ask for it by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There is a uh, cemetery, and I've been to it now a few times, visited uh, just a week before last over in London. It's called Bunhill Cemetery. It's the cemetery of the dissenters. And these are folks like Isaac Watts and others who uh, dissented. John, John Bunyan is in that, that cemetery who wrote uh, Pilgrim's Progress. And these are those who didn't get in step with the mainline churches of, of the day. They were called dissenters. We visited some famous graves there. Uh, Susanna Wesley is buried there. She was the mother of uh, 19 children, if you can imagine that. She herself came from a family of 25. She was the 25th of 25 children. And she raised uh, her, her boys to, to be dissenters, as they were called back then. And uh, there was a time when she was dealing with one child in particular, and her husband was watching her. And she dealt with them so patiently that the husband afterwards said, You know, uh, dear, you've probably told that child that, that thing a hundred times. How can you keep just telling them so patiently? She said, well, if I didn't keep, keep working with them then, uh, and, and do it 101 times, she said the previous 100 would have all been in vain. You know, there's something about children. You have to keep telling them over and over and over again. Isn't that the truth? Well, if you understand the epistle of 1 John, it's written to who? Little children. Little children. It's talking about believers. It's talking about folks like us. And it might seem like John is telling us this stuff over and over and over again. And it's so basic and it is so black and white. He deals with either hate or love or good or evil or Christ or Antichrist. And it just goes on back and forth. So basic. And it's also repetitious. In fact, as you read this, you read the writings of a preacher who is probably 90 years of age. And and you might go, man, is he beginning to lose it? I mean, is he getting senile? Has he, has he forgotten that he's mentioned this already a few times? I mean, he's already said most of this stuff about loving. Yeah, he has. But the big question is, are we practicing it yet? Are we practicing it yet? Are we practicing the awesome value of love? As I looked at this passage here, I recognized it from, from chapter 2 and verses 7 through 10. We preached it a few weeks ago as we've worked through this book. And I recognized it also in chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. It, it, it sounds so redundant. And even here again, notice verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. Notice verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Verse 12, no man has seen God at any time if we love one another. And we could take a look at others and, and, and it says the same thing over and over and over and over again. And so we say, what's the deal? Well, the bigger question again is, are we practicing it? I think that's the reason the Holy Spirit keeps inspiring John to repeat it over and over and over again. Are we practicing it? There was a preacher years ago who went to kind of a, uh, a southeastern state, backwoods area of that state, up in kind of Booger Holler, you know, that area. And uh, he took this little church over, and, and he observed what was going on in that church. And the first Sunday morning, he got up and he preached this message about not gossiping. And everybody thought, well, that's a good message. And they left. And next Sunday, rolls around. The preacher had been observing all week. He gets up and he preaches the exact same message about not gossiping. Now the people are kind of looking at him strange. Well, they figure he won't do it again. 
Well, the third Sunday rolls around, he gets up and he preaches the same thing about not gossiping. And so finally they, they came to him afterwards and they said, what's the deal here? Why do you keep preaching on gossip? Why don't you move on and preach about something else? And he said to them, when you start to practice in my first message, I'll give you my second message. And maybe John, in a sense, is, is saying, you know what? Are you practicing this love thing yet? You know, I preached just a few weeks ago on a Christian's trademark. Remember that? What is it? Love. And I wonder how many of us went out of here and actually made some changes, actually decided to start loving people maybe a little bit more. Well, we're going to talk today again about it, the awesome value of love. And as we do, I see, first of all, what I call the confirming indication of love, the confirming indication of love. Notice verse 7 with me, if you would. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. That's the confirming indication. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. There it is. The confirming indication of somebody who has been truly saved is to have the love of God. Now, we were told back in the Old Testament, and we've read it many times, that we are to love our brother as we do what? Ourselves. All right? Love your neighbor as you do yourself. But Jesus Christ comes along and he makes a slight amendment to it. And we've looked at that, that amended commandment. Jesus in John chapter 15 verse 12 said, This is my commandment, that you love one another, not as you do yourself, but as I have loved you. Now he takes love to the next level. He says, I want you to love each other, guys, the way that I have loved you. And he doesn't say it just once. In the Gospel of John, he says it actually three times. The same words over and over again. Different scenarios. Love each other the way I have loved you. Because a lack of love is nothing short of appalling. I mean, we don't really realize how serious it is. And so we rarely even say those words, I love you. I, I think we're all guilty of that. Well, we say cynical words, don't we? And, and we say critical words, and, and we rag on people, and we see the wrong in other people. Why do we do that, by the way? No, it's real simple. We're depraved. Let's never underestimate how depraved we are. We're totally depraved. And uh, we're no different from those in the first century that weren't loving each other. That's why John is writing this little epistle to believers at that time, because his heart was broke. He saw what was going on there. He's an old man. He's, he's soon to die. And he sees a missing ingredient in the people at that time. You know, this last week in our midweek service, we covered the first six verses of this chapter. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits where they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out in the world. And we, we talked about discernment. Bless God, we ought to have discernment. Bless God, we ought to recognize heresy. And, and bless God, we ought to stand for the truth and all that kind of thing. But if all we are is a watchdog who's always finding error and, and heresy, and we don't have love, we don't have heart, God help us. We become Baptist watchdogs. I know a lot of Baptist watchdogs, don't you? I mean, there they are, and, and they're always catching everything. Folks, we need balance. I mean, we have two hands, right? We have two feet, we have two eyes, we have two ears. I, I think there's something to be said for balance, and yes, we need discernment. And yes, we need to stand for truth. But God help us when we don't have love. There are some Christians, they just go through life suspicious. I mean, just that, that FBI spirit, just suspicious of everything, looking to find error and correct it and jump on people and basically fix stuff. They're always fixing stuff, or they think they have to fix everybody, and, and they become very, very cynical people. Now, yes, the Bible does say try the spirits. We read that in verse 1. 
Test the spirits. But if all we do is test all the time, you know what we become? Testy. (laughs) All right? And I know some Christians like, I know some preachers like that even. Quarrelsome and always in combat and ugly and always the heavy hand. When it comes to justice and mercy, they always side with justice and they're ornery and they're pharisaical and, and they become puny. And John had some like that in the first century. And he addresses this. Now, let me just say this. In a church like this, and I say with high standards, but actually just biblical standards, they're not high, they're God's standards. But in a church like this that has standards, may I say to all of us, we need to guard against that critical spirit, that ornery spirit, that quarrelsome spirit, that heavy hand, because if we don't, here's what will happen. We'll get to where we just bite and devour each other. You say, what? That's a biblical expression. Galatians 5.15 says, But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. There are churches that get like this. Our church has gotten like this, where we bite and devour each other, and the devil gets in the middle. And, and I've caught this church drifting at times. Honestly, I've, I've had to scramble to the pulpit and beg them, please don't contribute to the biting and the devouring. Don't forget to love. Don't forget to love each other. That biting and devouring stuff is is not of God. I've seen it over and over again. And if you've got to err on the side of either mercy or justice, please err on the side of mercy. Let's not err, period. Let's have the balance. But but John brings us back to loving. Uh, There was a problem in the first century, and we have it in the the 21st century as well. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love. That means the evidence of somebody who's been truly saved. The fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of salvation, is simply put as love. Now notice in verse 7 again. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Notice those words, born of God. There are some who would look at that and go, what is that talking about? Uh, Most of us here look at that and we say, well, it's another way of of saying born again. Uh, Where we were spiritually dead, born that way, uh, we have been born again. And he gives one of the indications of somebody who has been born of God, and it is this thing called love. Remember that. Remember before you were saved what you were like. You know, we so uh, often forget that. Uh, We forget the nasty spirit we had, the the stuff we did, the places we went, the things we said. and, And honestly, if we would just remember what God has delivered us from. I read this verse this last week, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. It says, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I will never forget how I felt after I got saved. I'll never forget the peace. I'll never forget the joy. I'll never forget the the love for the first time. You know, if that's God's nature and we have it within us and we get it at salvation, we need to just let it out, okay? We need to let it go. Now, notice verse number 8. Famous verse. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And and we all know the chorus is God is love, and he who abides in God abides in love, and so on and so forth. That's a famous verse. It's a famous truth. God is love. Now, the devil is not known for his love. The devil is known for his hate. Uh, He is a liar, the Bible says. Uh, He is a murderer. He is a deceiver. And so you don't find love there. What about the world? Well, the world is called carnal in the Bible. It, it's, it's referred to as darkness. 
You say, well, what about the flesh, the natural man? No, that's called deceitful above all things. No. The source of love is God. Notice again verse 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Now, lest we get out of balance here again, there are some who think that's all God is. Well, God is all love. It doesn't say that. It just simply states that God's the source of love. This world, yea, this universe would know no love outside of God, but that verse is not simply saying God's all love because that would be a lie. God is holy. God is just. And God is merciful. And God's a lot of different things. And if, if you think all he is is love, which you have is a mush God. I've preached on the mush God before who just overlooks all sin, who just sweeps everything under the carpet. No, God's love is always connected to His holiness. Let's never forget that. God's love is always connected to His holiness. God's love is always connected to His truth. And truth without, or love without truth is not love at all. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.15, we're to speak the truth in love. They're connected. Truth and love. Now notice again in verse 8, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Let's just revel in that for a little bit. Let's just bask in that a little bit. Let's just rejoice in that a little bit. God is love. Let me show you a gem. Ephesians 2.4 says, God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us. Just wait around in that for a little bit. His great love, wherewith He loved us. How great is this love? It goes on, verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because, now watch this carefully, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound an awful lot like something else John wrote somewhere else, like maybe John 3.16? Let's just say it all together, shall we? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's got to be the most unselfish thing anyone has ever done. Dying for us. Loving us that much. You see, love is the total opposite of selfishness. Selfishness is the total opposite of love. You know the reason why we love so little? It's pretty easy. We're selfish. We, we echo the sentiment of, of Cain. Am I my brother's keeper? That's why we don't love. We act like that uh, priest and that Levite who passed by on the other side of the wounded man, unlike the Samaritan who went up and loved that man and, and helped that man. We're not like that. John had not been like that at one time. In fact, John in his earlier days really had been uh, deficient in love and and had a deficit of love. And and that's why he was wanting to call down fire from the sky and burn up the Samaritans. And and, and that's why he wanted to to, to have the prominent place next to Jesus Christ on his right hand, so on and so forth. He was all wrapped up in himself. I call it spiritual entitlement. We, we think that we have to have these things. We deserve these things. You know what Philippians says, chapter 2, verse 21? It says, For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. For all seek their own. You say, own what? Fill in the blank. Their own comfort. Their own well-being. Their own happiness. For all seek their own gratification, all seek their own pleasure, all seek their own satisfaction. By the way, when you seek all that stuff, you never find it. That's the way not to find it. 
To live for self is the way to be unhappy. And really the biggest destroyer of relationships, yea, the biggest destroyer of marriages is probably this thing called selfishness, plain and simple. Verse 9, we move on. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. That we might live through Him. You say, huh, what are you talking about? That we, that I'm already living. In fact, there are some who think they're already really living, like living it up. They're not. Sin is bondage. The Bible talks about serving something, either, either God or, or sin. And, and you can be into a lot of vice and be enslaved to the booze or the drugs or the alcohol, the, the sex, the pornography, the, the tobacco, and, 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 and so-called even pleasure. But the Bible says even those who live for pleasure are dead while they're living, while they're yet alive. They're living this dead life, this dead end. And that's the reason they're empty after their little episode with sin. It has a hollow ring to it. Sin always does. All of Satan's apples have worms. Never forget that. Happiness is what people want the most, but have the least. Because, well, we go about it all wrong. Notice those words in verse number 9. At the end, it says that we might live through Him. Where's real living? Through Him. Through Him. You know what Jesus said in John 10.10? He said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So yes, the only way to live, really live, is through Him, the abundant life. Well, notice verse 10. Back to love. Here in His love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Notice, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. You know, we weren't born loving God. You know who we were born loving? Self. Self. Remember the Riddler on, on Batman? He'd always, he'd always say something, then he'd kiss his hand. Ooh, he just loved himself. You know, we don't go around doing that. But that's who we were born loving. We were born loving self. We were born rebels. We are born manipulative. And we are self-centered. And we are impatient. And we are, we are angry. And we are unforgiving. And we are insincere. We're unlovable. But notice again what verse 10 says. Here in his love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. He first loved us. Before I ever called upon the Lord on that Thursday night and asked Him to save me and and knew I was born again, He loved me. Before I was loving Him, He loved me. And He even sent His Son to be the propitiation for my sins beforehand. By the way, that word means satisfaction, the payment, the atonement. For our sins. May I give you a great verse? 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also hath once suffered for our sins, the just for the unjust. Notice these words. That He might bring us to God. That He might bring us to God. Before we ever loved God, He had to bring us to Himself. That He might bring us to God. It ought to cause us to love Him more. It ought to cause us to be more grateful for what He's done for us. We see, first of all, that confirming indication of love, but secondly, that charitable initiation of love. Notice verse number 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And you go, duh, okay. How many times have we heard that? If God loved us like that, we ought to love others. And yet, 
Are we really practicing it? Now, notice verse number 12. It says, No man has seen God at any time. Stop. You go, what? God was talking about love here. And, 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 and all of a sudden, he mentions that nobody has seen God at any time. Did, did, did John slip a cog here? Uh, this doesn't fit with the passage at all. I mean, no man has seen God at any time. Is, is John just sitting there as he's writing out of it? Yeah. No, no. This all fits. He's talking about loving each other. And then he says, no man has seen God at any time. Is that true? That's true. John 4.24, Jesus told us God is a spirit. Can you see a spirit? No. God, the Father, is invisible. We read in 1 Timothy 1.17, He's the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. God is invisible. Hebrews 11 refers to Him who is invisible. Okay? All right. What's this have to do with love? Well, look at verse 12 again. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Do you get it now? Do you see it now? God needs us to give love a body. That's the way I'd put it. He's invisible. He's silent. We, we, we know Him by faith. So how is this world going to know the love of God through us? We are to give a body to faith. God loves through us. If Christian people really got a hold of this, unbelievers would be drawn to us like a magnet. That's why John keeps mentioning over and over again. Do people in our, our neighborhood see the love of God in us? Do people in, in your apartment building sense that love? Do folks at work know you are a loving Christian? Does the person down at the gas station where you fill your car up know that you love people? Or do they just know you're some judgmental nut who's always harping on something, a, a, a fighting fundamentalist, bless God. Some Christians are so inappropriate sometimes. It, it, it's really disturbing. It really is. We are, we are the opposite of winsome. We are, not, we are not bringing people to ourselves. We're repelling them from us. We're full of pride. Oh, we have the proper doctrine. Oh, bless God, we got that doctrine. Bless God, blah, 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 blah. All right? The unsaved don't give a hoot about that. They don't care at all about that. They're not impressed by that. We can get so pharisaical, and we can get so arrogant, and we can get so abrasive. God help us. You say, well, we're holy, and we, we, we have standards. Amen. But that's, that doesn't impress any un, unsaved person. That is abrasive to them. When is the last time we've really cared about lost people? When is the last time we've showed concern to the unsaved? The world is watching us. And we can put the, the fish symbol on our bumper and, and we can put the cross around our neck. But what does the world really see in our lives? That is the question. Those we work with and we live by and we're related to, what do they see? Do they see a crank? A Christian crank? A Christian crab? A Christian pessimist? I mean, they just roll their eyes. Do they just see somebody who acts like them? Well, what's the difference then? They don't need what we have. Do they see a Christian using uh, vulgar language? Now we have hypocrisy. Or a Christian who uh, flips somebody off in traffic for doing something dumb? Forget it now. Forget it. But if they see a Christian who's helping out somebody else who's having 
um, car problems, or they see a Christian who is, is nice to little children, or they see a Christian who is nice to the, the elderly or the, the down and the out, and they have compassion, and they, they love the unlovable. God help us. If, if we would forget ourselves and focus on others, I'm telling you, the world would take notice of that. And by the way, the world is watching. You say, ah, they don't really know where I stand. No, they know exactly where you stand. If we would make a difference, if we would care enough, if we'd show some concern, if we would uh, go to a nursing home, if we'd get off Facebook long enough to go out and help some people, or if we'd, we'd stop gossiping, or, or, or we'd stop getting indignant about what somebody did wrong and walking around offended all the time, and actually get out there and do something spiritually productive and put a body to love, what a difference that would make. What a difference that would make. We see the charitable initiation. It's time we start doing it. But thirdly, we see the Christ-like imitation. Notice verse number 13. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, speaking of Christ, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. It's talking about the one who lives inside of us. And it's talking about the one who ought to be controlling us. Notice verse 15. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. It's talking about the saved person. It sounds like a broken record, but again, God is saying, when will you get it? If you've got me dwelling inside of you, when are you going to practice this thing? That's what he's saying here. Now notice a famous verse, verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. I want you to just note those words, the love that God hath to us. The love that God hath to us. And just revel in that a little bit. Just kind of wait around in a little bit. The love that God hath to us. How special are we to God? You know, there's a verse I'm reminded of in Isaiah 49, verses 15 and 16. It says, can a woman forget her sucking child or nursing child? Yea, they may forget, God says, yet will I not forget thee? Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. He says a tender, loving, nursing mother could forget her child before I forget you. God says, I have graven thee on the palms of my hands. You know why? Because he sees them all the time. And he thinks about us continually. He dwells upon us. We're important to him. You know, I, I, I know insecure people. I even know insecure Christian people. And, and, and they go about promoting themselves and advancing themselves and touting themselves. Folks, we don't need to do that. God notices us already. We're important to Him. We're graven on His hands. We don't have to assert ourselves. We don't have to promote ourselves. We don't have to uh, uh, push self up. There we are, on the palms of His hands. Well, notice verse number 17. We better move on. It says, herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Notice that boldness in the day of judgment. Now, how could we have boldness when it comes to standing before the Lord? By the way, there are two judgment seats. There's a great white throne mentioned in Revelation 20. uh, And then there's the judgment seat of Christ. The great white throne judgment seat is for the unsaved, The judgment seat of Christ is for God's people. 
And it's talking here about that one in verse 17 where it speaks of having boldness as we stand before God at that judgment seat. Now, how is it that we could have boldness as we stand before God? Well, I, I think part of it is the fact that we have lived a life that is, is one of caring, one of loving, one of reaching out, one of being faithful in these areas. And, and so if we're going to stand before God one day saying, well, I did my best, we need to ask ourselves today, are we? Are we doing our best right now? We see that Christ-like imitation after the charitable initiation, after the confirming indication, and, and finally we see the contrary implication. There's some sad verses left. In verse 18 it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. The Bible says that love and fear don't dwell together. In fact, the way it says it there, there's no fear in love. Perfect love casteth out fear. Fear hath torment. You know, I talked about selfishness a moment ago being the opposite of love. Do you know that selfish people are fearful people? Have you ever noticed that? People who are very self-centered and, and they're all wrapped up in themselves, they're obsessed with themselves, become very, very fearful. I heard of someone recently who talked about themselves to somebody else for hours, hours. You know, this whole social network thing, <laughs> I could get into it, but the bottom line is it's all about me. It's all about me. Here's, here's my pictures, and there's some that just look obsessed with themselves. Selfishness in this me generation, all it does is it begets fear, and there's never been a more fearful generation than the one we're living in right now. Counselors will tell you the number one thing they counsel on is fear. People have all kinds of fears. Well, it just goes with selfishness. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God hath not given us, Christian people, the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God hath not given to us the spirit of fear, but of power, of love. Notice, and of a sound mind, not a fearful mind. Now, we go back to John here. In verse number 19, it says, We love him because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. For the first 20, nearly 21 years of my life, I didn't love God. I lived independent of him. I, oh, I went to church every Sunday kind of to, to patronize him. But, but, but I, I would do my own thing. I'd pray if I needed a favor. You know how that worked. And uh, there you are, and you're, you're, you're living along, and you're living independent of God, and all of a sudden, God brought somebody across my path to witness to me. Started giving me Christian literature, talking about salvation. I read it. At first, I wanted to crinkle it up, throw it away. But something began to happen in my heart. What was that? That was God first loving me. That was God reaching out to me. And something strange happened. It's described in Titus 3 in a famous passage, beginning in verse 3. talks about how, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers or different lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. There we were living our lives, living along, on the road to hell, on the broad path. But after all of that, the kindness 
and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. And then it tells us how to get saved. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. What Jesus Christ did on Calvary's cross is the only thing that can save you from your sin. Your baptism won't save you. Your good works won't save you. Your joining a church won't save you. Your keeping the golden rule won't save you. You can get baptized in every baptistry, including this one, and still die lost and go to hell because water doesn't wash away sin. Only the shed blood of Christ can wash away sin. And these verses talk about what a rat we were before salvation. I admit it. Disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lust and pleasure, living in malice and envy and hateful and hating, all of that. But after that, I love this, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Thank God for that. Now, we see this contrary implication. Let's get to it. Verse number 20. It says, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Back to that again. Ooh, ouch. Strong words, John. Yeah, but true words. Very true words. You cannot love, and I cannot love an invisible God while we are hating our visible brother. There's a connection, actually. Jesus Christ said it in Matthew 25, 40. He said, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. So there's a connection. If we want to love the Lord, we love others. And as we love others, our love for the Lord grows. So let's start showing concern for others and watch what happens. Finally, notice verse 21. And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. In other words, our love for God is indicated by our love for our brothers, our love for our sisters, our love for God's people. So maybe we ought to decide starting right now, I am going to really work on this love thing. You know what the Christian life is? The Bible sums it up in Galatians 5, 6. It's a faith which worketh by what? Love. I mean, we read these verses and we miss this stuff. But love covers the multitude of sin. In other words, overlooks the fault of other people. We don't rag on them. We're not critical of them. We're not little cynics walking around all the time. It's a faith that worketh by love. So the question is, what's it going to take for us to start practicing what John has told us as little children to do over and over and over again. Is it going to take a stroke? Is it going to take cancer? Is it going to take a near-death experience? Is it going to take death itself? What are we waiting for, honestly? You know, this sanctuary would be, would be packed, honestly. Every open spot in the pew, every open spot in the balcony would be packed. The sanctuary would be packed if we really practice this, honestly, because everybody wants to be loved. And God is waiting for us to love through us. May God forgive us uh, for our spirit of entitlement, for, for wanting our space and wanting our dues and our, our place in the sun and our benefits and, and, and our comforts and our financial stability and all that. When are we going to start practicing loving one another? When we do, God will work through us. We will have, as this passage said, a holy confidence when we stand before Him. We'll have an absence of fear. That's mentioned there. And we will have a, a, a meaningful life. That's the awesome value of love. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, 
Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.